Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock, Mary Kay, and Ashley are in West Virginia, where they watched the Browns practice today for the first time in pads. I'm just going to get the phrase out of the way because I said I don't want to say this phrase on the pod. So I'm going to take it upon myself to say it first as the Browns continue to ramp up uh, the Hall of Fame game. We're less than a week away from the Hall of Fame game, which is kind of crazy to think. We're going to be watching this team play football in less than a week now as we record this on on Friday night. It's about 6.30. So uh, let's get into some bigger picture stuff today. It was a practice that was sort of, here's that word again, ramping up to the real pad day on Saturday where they're going to go full contact. Um, Joe Burrow still really in the news. And and Mary Kay, you put up a post just before we hit record on this podcast. Uh, you know, the Browns know a thing or two about calf strains. Wyatt Teller dealt with one last year. Matthew Adams is dealing with one right now. And, you know, your, your column basically says that, you know, from what you've learned, the Browns fully expect And based on what they know, they fully expect Joe Burrow to be on the field on September 10th when they host the Bengals. Yeah. And, you know, it's not an exact science, but most of these kinds of injuries are about a four to six week injury. So if you get your calendar out and you start counting it up, uh, this takes them anywhere from about August 25th up to September 8th. Now, if it's the long part of the injury and it's the full six weeks that he needs, that's like two days before the opener. Uh, So he's really going to have to work really, really hard to get back. If this was a, you know, a higher grade of a sprain, a strain, he's really going to have to uh, put the pedal to the metal and do everything he possibly can to get back on the football field for that opener, which you know he's going to want to do that. Um, But yeah, this could take four to six weeks um, the thing that we do know at this point is he's going to be out several weeks. We know that because Zach Taylor, his coach, said that today. Um, so what that means in my mind is regardless of this, if this is like a four-week injury or a six-week injury or whatever the case may be, um, he is going to miss a chunk of training camp. He's going to miss a chunk of training camp, and I think that's significant. You know, you're seeing Deshaun Watson out here repping it over and over and over and over. And Joe Burrow's not going to have the chance to do that, at least over the next how many ever weeks. I would think he's probably not going to practice at all for at least three weeks. Um, And then he'll go, you know, from there and see where he's at. But I think it's significant and I think it's meaningful uh, that he's going to miss all of this time and not be as prepared as he would be for this Big showdown with Deshaun Watson, the Battle of Ohio on September 10th. Yeah, I do think there's two things, though, working in his favor, Ashley. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday. And and that's, you know, Joe Burrow knows Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. So he, all that timing is, is kind of there. It's kind of ingrained. It might take a little bit of time to sort of get fully up to speed um, on you know, when it comes to that stuff, Joe Mixon, like like that offense is very consistent. Zach Taylor's still the play caller, or maybe maybe it's Brian Callahan, one of those two, but they've been doing it for a while. So he has that working in his favor. I think the other thing too, and maybe this is a discussion to have when we get closer to the game, I feel like this game is way more important for the Browns than it is the Bengals. I, I feel like the Bengals, look, this is a team that's been to a Super Bowl, been to the AFC Championship game. They got off to a slow start last year, lost to the Steelers in week one. Um, people wondered if they were any good. I mean, they got killed by the Browns on Halloween, and then they didn't lose again for the rest of the season until the Chiefs game in 
in the AFC title game. So I think there's that working in their favor too. Certainly it's an important game and they're going to approach it as an important game, but I've got to imagine that it's a much more important game for the Browns than it is the Bengals. So I think maybe those two things kind of work in Joe Burrow's favor. Right. Like the Browns have so much more to prove than the Bengals do for all the reasons you kind of laid out, right? Like they go to the AFC championship game last year, they go to a Super Bowl the year before. The Browns are trying to prove that they can like have a winning season with this roster. You know, I think a lot's at stake because we talk about what the stakes are when you bring Deshaun Watson in. I think every year that he's here, your goal has to be the Super Bowl. Um, so there's definitely a longer way to go for them. I think also, I don't have the Bengals schedule in front of me, but the fact that the Browns play all three division opponents in their first four games, those first four games are so huge. Like you have to have, you know, at least a three and one record, I think to consider it a success, um, because those division games are so, so, so important. And the fact that they're coming early, you don't really have a very large margin for error. So, I definitely think between the two teams, like it just feels like the Browns would have more to lose in that game. I am looking at their schedule right now. So the Bengals open like obviously with the Browns, then they host the Ravens, but then they get the Rams, the Titans and the Cardinals before they have to play the Seahawks and the 49ers. So um, they're in pretty good shape once they get through those division two games. But no, the counter there is Mary Kay. You don't want to be in a position where you might start 0-2 if you're the Browns or the Bengals, when those first two games are going to be division games, because the Browns, of course, they play the Steelers in week two and the Bengals will play the Ravens in week two. It's so amazing to me still that uh, so much uh, division stuff is happening so early in the season. It's so important to get off to a good start. It's so key. I mean, when you think about it and you have an injury like this uh, to Joe Burrow and you have to start out against the Browns and the Ravens, it's not that it will make or break you, but it could significantly impact the postseason and the AFC North race. I think this injury is, is very, very significant. I mean, again, some of these guys heal really quickly and they come back, they're young, there's all different healing modalities. But if he's really, you know, not himself and not 100% ready or gets one of those residual injuries that Wyatt Teller was talking about, um, you know, it could really, really change and shift the balance of power in the AFC North. So I think it's fascinating. I think this injury is fascinating. I think it could have far reaching effects. And, um, and I think it just goes to show you that anything can happen. And you, you know, whenever you uh, decide what, you know, what someone's record is going to be, or who's going to win the AFC North, I mean, there are so many variables and so many factors. And this is one of those. And we just don't know how it's going to play out at all. The lingering part of it too, Ashley, is interesting, because I mean, Joe Burrow isn't necessarily known for his mobility, but his mobility is a big part of his game, his ability to stay alive and extend plays in the pocket, uh, stay upright under pressure. I mean, you know, he's not running around like Lamar Jackson or Deshaun Watson or Josh Allen or any of those guys, but he does move and he does have mobility and he can make plays with his legs. And, you know, if this hinders that a little bit, especially because we know that Bengals O-line, I know they made investments in it, but it's still shaky in in some areas. You know, that that could certainly change things, too. Yeah, and I think it's like to Joe Burrow will, like you said, not necessarily move like some of those more mobile quarterbacks. But I think he does have a tendency to do 
I think what a lot of good or better quarterbacks in this league do, which is like hold on to the ball a little bit longer to try to make a big play. And I think more often than not, obviously he has success with that, right? But he doesn't have the best O-line. So it has made him, you know, prone to taking more sacks. And sometimes they're his fault. Sometimes they're the O-line's fault. Sometimes it's a combination of both. But I do think, again, yeah, when you have an injury like that, and, and I thought it was interesting too to kind of hear Wyatt Teller, like all these positions when you have a calf strain, like, they are different, right? Like it's very different when an old lineman gets a calf strain versus like a defensive back was the example he used. But I also think it's very different for like a quarterback than an old lineman. So it's all like in flux for these various reasons and various factors that you all have. But it it is interesting when you consider how he plays and what how that might add into that equation. You know, Mary Kay, this is another situation too. And, you know, this this is it's always different, right? Like, like Joe Burrow got hurt just running a normal play in practice. It's not like they were doing anything crazy. Uh, I don't know what happened with Jalen Ramsey, how he got hurt. Uh, but we just know like already we've seen two injuries and, and Jalen Ramsey's injury now is going to run into December. Uh, he's he's going to be out. It sounds like at least until December. So, um, you know, that's big in, in the AFC picture for Miami. Mm-hmm. It, you know, these practices, sometimes it can just be a normal play. Sometimes it can be something crazy, but injuries happen. And it does sort of speak to, you know, we talk all the time about Kevin's practices are kind of boring. They don't do a lot. I mean, they're, they're already giving guys days off and, and these haven't been exactly difficult practices, but there is something to be said about, you know, let's make sure that, you know, maybe we're not putting guys in bubble wrap but let's make sure that that we're being protective of players because the goal isn't to win Thursday against the Jets. It's to be ready to roll on September 10th and then just kind of gradually keep growing until you can peak around Thanksgiving and really make a run. Yeah, the other thing about uh, that same thing that you're talking about, Dan, is the fact that, you know, you certainly don't want to come down to the Greenbrier, travel all the way down here, spend all the money that it costs to be down here, and it is a pretty penny, and then have a serious injury that adversely affects your entire season. So I think they're going to continue in these last two practices to take it really easy. Even though the pads are coming on tomorrow and they're going to go out there and they're going to do some offense versus defense in 11 on 11s, I don't know that we're going to see uh, the kind of intensity that that we normally would in Berea. I think they're going to continue to take it easy. They want to get out of here healthy. They don't want anybody carted off down here. They don't want anything that changes the course of their season. So I'm not expecting uh, to see guys on the ground tomorrow. Yeah. And that's one of those things I've been thinking about this too much time to think when I'm not down there watching practice, but you know, we see all the practice clips, right? Um, You know, Mary Kay, you had one yesterday of Harrison Bryant making a catch. It was a really nice throw from Sean, a really nice catch from Harrison Bryant. If you watch real closely, Juan Thornhill is right there. And on a Sunday afternoon, he probably pops Harrison Bryant. And we'll we'll mm-hmm. see if he hangs on to it. Uh, there was another play yesterday in Seattle where Jackson Smith and Jigba made a great one-handed catch. But it was between a couple of safeties who pulled up. And again, on a Sunday afternoon, maybe he gets hit. So I, I think that's what kind of makes, you know, when we're standing there watching watching every single play of practice, I think we get a good idea of what's happening. But if you're kind of just sitting on Twitter watching clips, you have to be a little bit careful because, you know, these guys aren't hitting and they aren't playing super physical. But tomorrow, Ashley, you at least are going to get a little closer of an idea 
uh, of what that might look like, it sounds like. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up Juan there on that Harrison Bryant play, because when he talked today, you know, he was the one he kind of alluded to, well, didn't allude to, he outright said it, like when the pads come on, that's great for the DBs because they feel like they finally have a chance to make some of those plays. And that, obviously, we talk about this a lot, like in OTAs and minicamp, how skewed it is for the offense, just given the nature of the rules uh, at that point in the offseason and the no contact and things like that. So I do think, like, it's interesting to kind of hear those guys say, like, that's the first time, like, you can kind of really get a feel for what you have um, in those team periods when the pads come on. Because I think those guys in the defensive backfield, especially, they just feel like they have a bit more freedom than they've had up until this point. And a guy like Juan Thornhill, who's got this personality, big personality, like he's he's ready to go. I think they want to, you know, their teammates all right, but like those defensive guys, I think, want to shut some of these offensive guys up from the talking that we've heard so far. Yeah, I know when I was down there, it was loud. <laughs> they were there from both sides. It was pretty loud. Uh, Mary, I mean, Mary Kay, what do you watch for when the pads go on? And, you know, especially a practice like tomorrow when it is going to be a little bit more like a real practice. Well, first of all, what we can't really see is, uh, you know, Miles Garrett blowing off the edge and actually sacking the quarterback. You're not allowed to do that. Um, But you will see the kind of pressure that they get. But so from that standpoint, what I'm more interested in is. Who is Deshaun Watson connecting with and who are the defenders that are breaking up those passes? Uh, I really enjoy watching that. So uh, that's one thing that I'm going to have my eyes on a lot is, you know, how is Martin Emerson doing? I think he's having a, a great camp so far. I'm calling him a pro bowler. I think he's maybe not this year, but I think he has pro bowl ability. I, th- I just think he's that good. And, um, you know, how is he looking against, Uh, you know, some of these receivers in camp. Now, Amari's probably not going to be in team drills tomorrow. Uh, He will probably stick with individuals like he did today. Um, And he might do maybe move up to some seven on sevens, but he's not going to be in an 11 on 11s tomorrow. I really don't envision that happening. But so, yeah, I will be watching defensive backs and how they are handling Deshaun to these receivers. Okay, let's take a break. And uh, Mary Kay mentioned a position I want to talk about a little bit more and a guy I want to talk about a little bit more. We'll do that on the other side here. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby back in Cleveland. Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock in West Virginia. I want to talk a little Donovan Peoples-Jones. Ashley, I know you had a chance to talk to Donovan Peoples-Jones, but I want to talk about him because I know when I was down there watching and I've kind of thought back a little bit about who who I remember, like who kind of stood out. And again, you know, these are practices. And when I was there, it was real light. I thought Donovan looked good when I was down there. I thought he made some catches. He had one where he kind of a little, you know, Lance Reisland texted me when he saw a clip of it. He said it was some, some toe drag swag from our buddy Donovan Peoples Jones. I think I remember him making a sideline catch. Mary Kay, you might've had video of that one. Um, It just felt like, I just liked what I saw from Donovan Peoples-Jones, Ashley, and, and you got to talk to him. I'm just curious kind of where you're at here with Donovan, and this is a really big year for him, you know, because he is a free agent after this season. Yeah, so, you know, I think, too, it's funny. Like, I think that that's a good thing that he's stood out in camp so far in the ways that he has, just because he did, I thought, have good OTA sessions that we saw. He had a really strong mini camp, like, 
I still remember that first day of minicamp and the red zone drills where he made those two catches in the back of the end zone. He had to like kind of keep his balance to do it. Maybe a little bit of the toe drag in those, but yeah, Donovan is just so like interesting to me because like he doesn't talk, right? <laughs> like you, I ask him about these things. I've been trying to ask him about the extension eligibility since January and he won't really talk about it. Um, and I always like when I do these stories on him in the past and I did it today, like I kind of make the fact I weave in the fact that he's so quiet and like shy into the story. And I think like it's almost fitting with where he's at in his career because so much has changed around him in Cleveland, right? Like when he first came here, he came into a receiver room that was headlined by these two guys who were like his two idols when he was coming up in Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. They're obviously gone, but last year they get Amari Cooper, who he's learned a ton from um, and who's one of the best route runners in the in the game. And now they add all this speed, which is something very different than what he does. But he's never been intimidated regardless of who's been there before him, regardless of who has a different skill set. He's always just like very eager, I think, to learn from who's ever there and to work for, with whoever is there. And he doesn't want to talk about, you know, himself. Like any question I asked him about himself the other day when I talked to him, he just kind of turned it into something bigger picture about the team, which is kind of par for the course, I think, with Donovan. But I I just think it's like overall kind of just emblematic of his career. And like, I don't know what his future is going to hold. Like if a team somewhere else is going to want to take a chance on him and make him a wide receiver, number one, if the Browns are going to like, I think he's obviously done a good enough job that you could justify why the Browns might want to bring him back in Cleveland. I think it's still way too early to know if that's going to happen since they didn't, you know, extend him this offseason or whatever. Um, but he's an interesting guy. You know, like we talk about all the time. I don't know if he's reached his peak already or if there's still more there to go with him, just given the traits he has. So he's definitely, I think, you know, a guy to watch for for this year regarding his future, obviously. Yeah, Mary Kay, that's the question I have really about Donovan. Like, was last year pretty close to his ceiling? Or can he still develop into that guy who's going to be a wide receiver one? We've seen him make huge catches for this football team, of course. There were also a couple times last year where he probably needed to make a play and he didn't. Um, I'm thinking of, I think the Cincinnati game when Deshaun, after Deshaun came back was one of them. New Orleans, uh, that there was a ball that uh, he, he probably should have brought in if he wants to be like a wide receiver one. But that being said, you know, this is a former sixth round pick that takes some time to develop these guys a little bit. I mean, maybe this could be as he kind of flies under the radar here with Amari and Elijah Moore getting all the attention. Maybe this could be kind of a, a, a breakout for Donovan this season. Yeah, it it definitely could be. And um, I think the thing to note here and to remember is that this is going to be the very first year where he has this elite quarterback in Deshaun Watson throwing him the ball for the entire season. And I'm anxious to see how everybody responds to that. You know, we hear so much about Deshaun Watson elevating the play of the receivers uh, that that play with him. So now we're going to find out a lot about that. Uh, does he turn Donovan Peoples-Jones into a 1,200-yard receiver who's going to catch five or six touchdown passes? I mean, you know, we're going to find out. Is that what happens? I mean, I think the potential is certainly there. Um, you know, we're going to find that out about, you know, even – Amari and Elijah to a certain extent and everybody else, David Bell, does he turn David Bell into a better receiver? So I'm very anxious to see who Donovan Peoples-Jones is 
with Deshaun Watson. And as we all know, and we've been talking about this a lot, uh, you know, there is a, there are certain styles and types of receivers that mesh better with Deshaun Watson than others. And so far, it seems like, you know, it looks like, well, everybody's making plays in camp. The pads haven't come on yet, so we don't know how that's going to continue to go. But, I mean, so far, it looks like Elijah Moore and Deshaun Watson are are really just, you know, they have their mojo down. They've got this camaraderie, this chemistry. Uh, their versatility seems to be meshing really well with each other. The other guys have to show that they have that, too. You know, are you coming back at the right time? Are you able to stay alive? Are you able to stay in um, Deshaun Watson's sight lines? Do you have that basketball sense of where the play is going next? Um, So these are all things that we're going to have to watch. And the truth of the matter is we are not really going to know who has this natural sort of chemistry with Deshaun Watson until we get into the season a little bit. It's going to take a while. It's going to be a work in progress. Now, Deshaun, when he was in Houston, he, you know, he developed his mojo with certain guys like DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, He doesn't really have that yet here. He's developing it in camp, but that in-game chemistry is, is something that it will manifest itself, you know, once they start to get into the season. And I'm very anxious to see who's got the it factor with Deshaun. Yeah, we talk so much about offensive linemen learning to block for Deshaun, but these receivers have to learn to play with Deshaun, like you were saying, Mary Kay. They, they have to learn, you know, so Jakeem Grant is an example of a guy that when he first kind of got here and Deshaun was here, the two kind of connected early. And a big part of that was Jakeem played with Pat Mahomes at Texas Tech. So he knows how to play with the quarterback that runs around and makes things up. And, you know, and that's kind of what other receivers have to learn, you know, Amari's played with a bunch of different quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Dak's not really like a, a scrambler like Deshaun is, but he, he can move around and extend plays a little bit. Um, you know, so Amari's got some familiarity with, you know, playing with different guys, you know, Elijah Moore played with Zach Wilson, who knows what he's doing on any given play. So <laughs> Elijah Moore is just used to chaos. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ashley, like Donovan has to sort of learn that yeah. part of the game. We know Donovan's going to be where he's supposed to be. Now he's got to learn how to kind of be where he's not supposed to be and be there at the right time. Yeah, I agree. And as Mary Kay was talking, like, I think that's such a great point about him playing with Deshaun because, like, even going back to college, like, he's never played with a quarterback anywhere near with this ability, anywhere near this kind of mobility. I mean, he had three or four different quarterbacks in college. He had three or four different offensive coordinators. He spent most of his college career having Shea Patterson throw him the football. That is such a different world when you're talking about a guy's ceiling and his outlook and the possibilities of what he can do in the NFL. And even, like, with the ups and downs of Baker Mayfield, like, He's never really had to just kind of have this ability to do that freelancing. So I think this is kind of like new territory for him. And I think that's, you know, exciting in some ways. I'm curious how he's going to fare because right now when I think about him, like he's not one of those receivers that you look at and think, man, he's just good in, in any of those kinds of situations where he has a bit of freedom to improvise. Like he's the guy that might like to battle for contested catches, But I think that improvisation is going to be so important. And if Deshaun can bring that out of him, like Mary Kay said, like all of his numbers and things could go way up from what they were. 
Okay, we're going to keep it a little short here uh, today, but I do want to just ask each of you, is there like one last thing that we didn't didn't touch on, something you saw at practice, something that stood out to you at practice uh, that, that you want to toss out there? You know what? The, the practice was very short today. It was only um, an hour-long practice. We talked to um, Dalvin Tomlinson. He's always great to talk to. And, um, you know, he, I was asking him about Zadarius Smith because I had a nice one-on-one interview with Zadarius that I'm hoping to get written as soon as possible. Um, but he talked about him. He talked about Obo Okoronkwo and how he's so much stronger uh, than people might think that he is. Uh, so that was a really cool interview. I think I, oh, I don't, I haven't put it up yet as a YouTube short, but, um, but you know, that was really cool. Um, and that's about it. I mean, there was just not much about today. It was, I was kidding around with someone last night saying, you know, this is really just a fashion show. Okay. This is for Instagram, uh, to show how good you look in your Cleveland Browns pads for the first time in 2023. That's what today was about. Yeah, I mean, they really did front load the week, um, you, you know, the, with the Haslam's and Andrew and Deshaun. They put a lot of the big name guys up there in, in the front of the week. Uh, Ashley, what did you? Th- is, is there anything that, that kind of stood out to you, you today from practice or from from what guys said, what Kevin said, anything like that? Um, I think just basically kind of like what I already talked about with the, the DBs, just sort of like really, I feel like getting excited for, for their chances to maybe make some of these plays that they want. Um, and just as they enter this next phase, but I mean, Mary is right. I mean, practice was only an hour today. Like they purposely went, you know, slow so that guys could get used to the pads and not use lose technique as Kevin Stefanski kind of talked about. I put up a YouTube short of him explaining that. Um, so they're just, it felt like they're genuine, genu- genuinely was not like a ton new to take away from today. Um, I think there will be more to watch tomorrow as they kind of continue to ramp up, but that's going to be the heaviest practice I think that we see while we're down here. Sounds to me like a good night to get out and explore Lewisburg, West Virginia. We just had a huge storm here yeah, today, it Dan. Huge. It was it huge. It was huge. The The lights were flickering. Uh, it was really scary. <laughs> the internet was going out. I mean, it was black and ominous yeah. outside. And uh, yeah, so it was a little bit adventuresome. It's supposed to be over and passing through here by 7 o'clock. At that point, we will probably go back to the coolest little town in America and That's have ourselves right. some dinner and whatever else. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to let you guys go enjoy it. Uh, maybe I'll sit in my living room and drink in solidarity with you. <laughs> uh, but again, we'll be back with one more uh, West Virginia style podcast on Saturday. I think we're going to skip Sunday. Uh, we'll see about Monday what happens there. And then we will definitely be back when the Browns are back on the practice field on Tuesday. So, you know, our schedule gets a little wonky here during training camp, but we're still bringing you the same amount of podcasts, the same amount of content, just get subscribed on Apple podcasts and on Spotify. And I keep telling people, we keep getting, you know, followers, you know, a few new followers every time I mention it on the pod. So (laughs) head over to Instagram, find orange and Brown talk and give us a follow there. Uh, we post all sorts of stuff over on our Instagram page as well. And, of course, Football Insiders. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. You get a newsletter. You get access to exclusive stories on Cleveland.com slash Browns. And, of course, you get texts as well. So, again, that's just Cleveland.com slash Browns and the blue banner at the top of the page there. Uh, for Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.